In this episode, I have Phil Mendoza on the podcast. We discuss when and how we met, Phil and what he's up to, tuning processes, his tuning process, and learning your actual shot distance. You are listening to the Archery Maniacs Podcast. This is Remy Warren. I am Rihanna Carey. My name is Adam Foss. This is Paul Tedford professional archer hey everyone i'm christy titus and you are listening to archery maniac we cover everything archery from the hunting side to the tournament side with stories tips and tactics gear reviews and more that, that helped my tuning game so much when i made sure that all my arrows were square i'm staring into his eyes blood's dripping off of its tines mud is everywhere the clarity these mavens offer is amazing i'm just like spider-man you know on this rock you know, just laying there <laughs> belly crawling in there and I can barely fit in there and I can hear the cat growling at me. So I put my hand on his shoulder and pushed him and we just ran at this elephant. Thank you everyone for tuning into the Archery Maniacs podcast. Uh, have Phil Mendoza on the other end of the line and uh, today he and I are going to touch briefly into a couple topics such as tuning, you know, broadhead arrow flight, figuring out what your effective range is, uh, we're going to kind of just briefly cover this stuff uh, because what we're going to do is we're going to break it down in depth in future podcasts. So thanks a bunch, Phil, for hopping on the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to it. It was it was really get, great to uh, to mm-hmm. meet you at the Western Hunt Expo in Salt Lake City and and kind of plan out a podcast, you know, in person there. So uh, I'm glad that we were able to find some time here and and get some podcasts done. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, it, it it was it was good to meet you there at the show as well. And and as you know, it's it's kind of hectic there with um, <laughs> so much so much going on. But oh, definitely to man. be able to sit down, it's a lot better. Oh yeah, there is there is so much going on there. I uh, you know, I I if I was partnered with a booth or something like that, I would have tried to have done more podcasts there in person, but. My gosh, it's it's a whole different dynamic, and you have to have a whole different set of equipment. Um, and I and I mean, I had stuff there, and I did I did a few uh, podcast recordings there. But next year when I go there, um, I'll have different equipment and hopefully be aligned with with a booth so that I can you know do podcasts there at the booth throughout the day and throughout the weekend. But man, you are not kidding. There is a lot of stuff going on at that event. <laughs> No, I mean, I, I've been saying it for a while now. I wish shows like that one and, you know, ATA or whatever, uh, any of the, the the valuable shows that I wish they had like a little podcast alley, right? Where they just invited guys like you and they had 20 booths or 20 spots set up to where you can just set up, you know, reserve it for a little while. And that way, you know, you, the, the people that really want to, whether they're listening in or they're wanting to, to meet new people or see what's going on, see how things work. I really think the podcast platform is so valuable that they need to, they need to, they need to give it a little more love. You know what I mean? Um, I think they should welcome you guys in to do that thing as opposed to make you work to, you know, to pay for a booth or do something else. Personally, that's just my, my feedback on it. Well, I appreciate that. And, and, you know, being on the opposite end of it, you know, trying to find a spot to do it and all that kind of stuff. Um, I, you know, I agree, especially, I mean, yeah, I have a podcast, but, you know, it's not as big as, say, like the Gritty podcast or whatever else. But uh, like you, I, I think there'd be a lot of people that would 
love to walk by and actually go, oh man, look, they're having a podcast right there. Look who, look who's in that podcast. Which episode is this going to be? You know, what, what are they talking about? What, right? you know, I, I think I agree with you. I think it would, uh, and I think it would bring another, another dimension and another dynamic to the, to the podcast world as well, for sure. Oh yeah. And, and there, as many, you know, industry, you know, experts or professionals that are walking around there, you know, if, if, if you got 15 minutes or 30 minutes extra with one of them to be able to sit down and throw it down, I almost think that they need to, like I said, showcase stuff like that, put some seating around there. If people want, if they want to take a break from walking around the show they can go sit down. And like you said, kind of chime in or kind of eavesdrop on what's going on, on some of the outcome, the, the new shows that are going to be coming out. So that's me personally. I just think that, um, I think that they should be looking at that more from a, a media marketing standpoint and, and highlight it. Well, yeah, too, like you say, that that's the whole point of a podcast is to highlight what's going on in the moment. And what what better way for people to want to learn more about the Western Hunt Expo and want to go there, you know, more like more more badly that's not the right word that i'm looking for but you guys get what i'm saying <laughs> you know you know to get what better way to get more people excited about going than hear the energy and the buzz and everything like that that is coming from the podcast people you know i mean you can feel it when it's there you know there's bustle there's everyone walking around everyone oh look there's you know randy newberg or whatever you know and it's just it's it's a it's a huge energy and and the podcast can contain all that and portray it to the listeners so i you know like you say you'd think they would be like yeah come on podcasters come in for free come come spread the word so we have more people next year you know <laughs> for sure no i agree man i mean i just uh, you, you hopefully they grow towards something like that but um but either way it was fun to get to to meet you over there and so many people. Cause that, like I said, I enjoy that show um, more than most others. Right. Yeah. And I went to that a long time ago. Uh, maybe when I was I'm 28 now, and I think it was probably, I was 13 or 14 or something. It was a long time ago. Um, and I don't really even honestly remember all that much about it, but going there as somebody that's part of the industry is, it's definitely a different dynamic than somebody that's just walking around to, to look at everything. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, it's, you know, to, I mean, I live in Denver and, and to give somebody a, an example, you know, our biggest trade show that the consumers can go to is, is the Denver ISE show. And we participate in that and it's a good show, but there's a lot more outfitters and um, you know, little, I would almost even call it like, flea market style trinkets and here and this and, you know, small items, bargain deals, if you will, mm -hmm. that show, you've got more industry, you know, actual products and, you know, companies uh, and people. Co exactly. I mean, mm -hmm. Hoyt was there. Matthews was there, you know, like phones go, some of these other companies that, that are tools that you use in the field, whether you're a hardcore backcountry guy or you, you hunt out of your truck, who cares? But there's products that you can get your hands on and talk to the people that, that run those companies and, and have a real, a little more personal uh, relationship with them. I, I think it's great. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So Phil, why don't you kind of tell the audience just a little bit about yourself, uh, some of the stuff that you have your fingers in and uh, you know, what, uh, what kind of, 
stuff you just, you know, what kind of stuff you have going on for the archery world? Sure. No, I, yeah. I mean, I, so obviously my name's Phil Mendoza. I, I run no limits archery. We're one of the larger pro shops in, in the Western region located here on the North side of Denver, indoor range, outdoor range, um, full service pro shop. Um, like I said, it'll, it'll actually be 10 years next month that we've been, we've been in wow. business. Congratulations, yeah. man. That's a long I, I time appreciate you're running it. a business. Well, and that, this type of business specifically, I, I actually helped my family run another business that I've been doing that for almost 20 years now. And that's a, it's a different world. It's more construction based, but to see the dynamic from a business like that to an archery shop business that were not going to lie, margins and, and profits and that kind of thing are difficult in, in, in the archery specifically. Um, but we've, we've continue to grind and, and continue to try new things and, um, and just keep, you know, enough to keep us in business and, and start to, to thrive a little bit. And it is really a testament to the customer base that we've been able to, to grow in this area. But so no limits archery is, is kind of the, the, really the home base, the big hub, the, the central focus of what I do. Um, and then from there we started, a tournament series we call the Alpha Bow Hunting Challenge. We started that in 2016, and so we're going into our fourth season of that. Which you know, it what it is is, um, it's a modified 3D format on the first part part of it. We shoot mark yardage, backpacks on, hunting scenarios, and then the second part of that is a mirror image five target head to head course. We shoot at breakable targets, and there's a there's a mild physical element in between each shot. Not enough to where you have to be a CrossFitter to do it. It's just enough to get your heart rate up to simulate so many things that we could experience in the field. And again, you don't have to be the supreme athlete to do this event. Obviously, the better shape you're in, the, the quicker you're going to recover to be able to take a shot. But um, it's very much an archery event. It's, it's I'd say, 70, 75% archery, 20, 25% um, you know, physical activity mixed in. And then from that, we started doing a lot of our coaching workshops, uh, all in the same kind of goal focus of really trying to focus on the bread and butter, the meat and potatoes of what can make somebody a better hunter and archer. Because as sexy as shooting a hinge or a tension release is, or, you know, a fancy driver's side or whatever, you know, all the bells and whistles you can put on a, on a bow these days, there's so much that people overlook from the bare bones of having a good, having a good form shot sequence, being able to execute a shot well in all shooting positions in all conditions, you know, elevated heart rate or not. So a lot of that is where I don't want to say I focus on the, the stuff that's not sexy. I just, I just know from years of doing things the hard way, just being monotonous with hard work, that that's what really matters. Yeah. And I, and I think, you know, <clears throat> there, there's, uh, probably gets and catch some flack for this, but that's all right. There's a difference between sexy and what matters, <laughs> yeah. you know, it don't I get mean, me wrong. the sexy, the sexy can be beneficial too, though, but not without a good foundation. Exactly. Exactly. And I mean, uh, you know, if, if I, for instance, if I go and I pick up a hinge release, like you're saying, and I can shoot it at a target standing there, butter smooth, and I'm shooting great. 
but I never practice shooting that thing in front of, you know, with some pressure, whether it be a friendly bet, whether it be me running up and down the hill with weight and then shooting it. And I go on my first hunt that that is no longer sexy because I probably have just set myself up for failure. <laughs> well, and, and like you said, I mean, where else can you duplicate hunting? You can't. The only place you can duplicate hunting is by hunting. Right. Yeah. So Texas. And most of us. <laughs> right. Well, and that's that's a, a good point. But other than having a target rich environment like Texas is um, the, the ability to practice new equipment or practice with new equipment with new integrations of whatever you're doing in is it's we're limited by seasons. We're limited by tags. We're able to draw. We're limited by so many things. So this challenge that we have kind of created is is not hunting but it does put you at least in certain scenarios that are similar to things you could experience in the field. So there again, you know, using a hinge release, maybe you, you shoot a hinge release. Great, but you know, you're not sure how you execute with the hinge release under pressure. And you know, everybody knows you get, whether it's an animal or a tournament or something and, and you think you're smooth and you're relaxed in that hand, but you're really tensing it up and you think you're pulling and you're really not pull, you know, it, there's so many things that happen, so many different dynamics from, the, just the execution of the release standpoint that if you're going to figure that out in the field, good luck. Yeah, exactly. And that's, and that's one of the, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that's one of the focuses of, uh, you know, like the alpha bow hunting challenge and the, and the stuff that you guys are trying to teach is getting people ready for the real life situations that they are going to be encountering when the hunt comes or even if, you know, 3d tournament or whatever, you still get excited. You still get adrenaline and everything like that. Is that kind of correct? A hundred percent, hundred percent. You know, that there's something to, you know, a lot of people I've heard it a few times. Oh man, you're going to give people target panic, making them run and hustle and get a heart rate up and shoot. And I say, look, at the end of the day, if somebody has inherently bad habits or they haven't learned the right way and this magnifies that or enhances that, they got two choices. They can just keep going down that road and struggle and do the best they can, or they can realize, hey, this isn't right. I need help and, and, and know that whether it's somebody like us or other coaches or whoever it is can help you get past that and, and you're going to be much better because of it. So I'm not... I'm not trying to say I'm trying to bring out people's bad habits, but some of this stuff can bring out your bad habits, you know, this type of any kind of competition. So I just come from a world of, I shot competitively in the ASA circuit for a long time. And I tell you what, you, you'll learn that you cannot band-aid things. If you want to be competitive and you want to excel, you can't band-aid things. You have to eliminate the variables. You have to focus on the things that are not right. Now, whether it's, you know, calling out certain arrows because of whatever the case, right? In the, in the arrow building process or whether it's just your form in the way you execute a specific, if you can't do it right in all situations, don't do it. You know, do something, figure out what you need to get better at it and then get better at it. So that way, when you do put yourself in those tournament situations or hunting situations, you're ready. And, and I, I say it in a lot of my workshops and my, my coaching seminars and stuff, confidence is a key. You know, if, if I have a $400 bow or a $1,500 bow in my hand, it, you know, if I have a $400 bow and I'm hundred percent confident and I got a $1,500 bow and I'm 50% confident, I'll go kill more stuff with that $400 bow any day of the week. And, yeah. and that follows suit with anyone. 
yeah, confidence is king for sure. Um, and I, but I, I think it's really important for people, you know, when people reach out with concerns to you or they express concerns, you know, somewhat angrily saying, Hey, you're going to give people target panic and all that stuff. Look, there's a lot of difference between doing something like that in your backyard where nobody can look over your shoulder and say, this is what you did wrong. This is how you can fix it. Um, like they can there, you know, cause if, <clears throat> for instance, if I'm at one of your alpha things and I go up there and I draw back and I just hammer on that trigger and I just look at it and say, Phil, I, I felt like I had no control over that shot. What are some things that I can do to mitigate that? That's a huge difference than being at home and just digging yourself a hole by, by hammering on the trigger or whatever else. When you have someone to turn to and say, Hey, this is what I felt. Is this kind of what you saw? You know, what, what, what did I do poorly? You know, that, that's a, that's a big difference. No, for sure. And, and a lot of times people don't know, right? They'll shoot in their backyard, they'll shoot their buddies. Everything's great. You put them in a, in a, a you know, this head to head platform. So shooting in a timed event for one is add some pressure shooting against one other person with a bunch of people watching adds more pressure. So it's, it's some of those things they may not know that these problems or these issues exist until they actually go through it. So once they do go through it and they're like, Hey man, I didn't realize I, how bad I punched a trigger and I wasn't really good in my shot and my, you know, my pin wasn't holding, whatever the case is it. I, and again, I, I go back to a lot what I, I, I coach in our seminars and our workshops you know, when I talk to people and say, Hey, why do you, why do you practice? Well, I just want to make it to where when I'm in the field, I just go on autopilot and I don't have to think I can just shoot. I'm like, okay. But if your, if your shot sequence is not good, if your execution sucks, if something along the lines, it doesn't have to be terrible. One of those steps in that process could just be a weak link. Well, if you're practicing that way and you practice and you practice, you practice wrong, your autopilot, when you do need it, is going to suck as well. So don't trust your autopilot if your form and your execution is not on par and if it's not, you know, correct. So it's, again, I just, there's so much that goes into addressing issues because not every shooter is the same. Not every, you know, not every bow is going to shoot the same. Not every release is going to shoot the same. But if you focus on the basics, on your shot sequence, on good form, on, uh, you know, slowing things down on being in control and, you know, and sometimes implementing a new tool, like potentially a hinge or a tension release. Sometimes that's what it takes. You need to know that stuff. And if you don't to go out and seek a good coach to, and maybe pay him for a couple, two or three hours worth of lessons to help them teach you how to integrate a new tool, how to make sure your, your, your form and your shot sequence is on par. Um, I mean, it's something that I go back, you know, 17 or so years ago when, I got out of college in 99 and I'd been rifle hunting as a kid and got out of college. And, and I said, you know what, hunted for another year with my rifle. And I was like, you know what, I need something different. I need something more challenging. I picked up a bow. So since, since then I, I started shooting and shot my bow pretty good for a few years. And I was like, you know what, I, I want a lesson. I want to know that I'm doing this stuff right. Took a lesson at a pro, with a pro shop owner and he taught me 10 steps to the 10 ring. And I sat there with him for an hour at five yards doing shot sequence and shooting my bow. And I walked away from that hour. I was like, man, what a waste of an hour. What a waste of $40. <laughs> and I, it, did, it didn't really hit me until later on when I started to develop some target panic. The tools that helped me fix and get past it was a different 
a different tool and focusing on that shot sequence, focusing on the structure, focusing on the non-sexy stuff. And once I learned it and I trusted it and I integrated a new tool to help me get past that mental blockage, then it was just like sky's the limit. So, but to, to go back to, to, to tell somebody now, sometimes the, the things that, you know, we're, we're in such a high paced society. So everybody wants it now. Sometimes the fix, the answer to the problem is not going to happen quick. It's going to suck. It's going to take time. It's going to take work, but that's the fix that's going to help you. So those things are what I try to focus on with our coaching and with our, even setting people up at the shop. Don't get so enamored with the, the bells and whistles. Can the bells and whistles be nice? Yes. Can you, if you can afford them, if, if that would, that's fine. I just don't focus on that. Focus on you, focus on practice routine, focus on shooting arrows the right way. So that way, when it does matter, whether it's hunting or, or on a tournament, whatever, man, you're ready, you know, and, and you have fun doing it. That's, that's the biggest thing is archery is, I mean, it's, it's so relaxing. And so, you know, it, it's like nothing else that I've done, but it's, uh, it can, it can suck real fast if you got anxiety issues. <laughs> Oh man, that, that is so true. And I, cause I've had them, um, you know, where you get stuck holding low or you get stuck holding high and it's just like, man, as soon as you see that pin cross the center, you just slam on that trigger. Like it's like your life depends on how hard you hit it, (laughs) you know, but, uh, I agree with you. And, and, uh, you know, it's, it's it's interesting because there's there's kind of two sides to that, right? <clears throat> because being able to work on your bow and you know tune it and all that kind of stuff, I think that breeds confidence. At least it does for me. That that's why I like to do it. That's why I like to build my own arrows because I know that you know I weighed out each one of the knocks. Is that really going to matter yeah. for accuracy? Probably not. You know because I'm not. I, I don't know anyone out there that is that can tell the difference between 0.2 grains difference in their knocks. I, you know, that, <clears throat> that's, that's pretty in depth, but it mentally makes me feel better. Right. Same with knowing how to tune your bow. However, you tune your bow, all that stuff. If you don't have the right fundamentals and the right mechanics to know how to shoot your bow at the moment of truth, none of your tuning is going to matter anyways. <laughs> Well, no, and and you know, to, a, a, a short story that to to kind of hit on that, you know, years ago when I was shooting ASA, I I started in two thousand nine shooting nationally, and I, I did pretty well that first year, just in the bow hunter class, and I went in, into the open A class, which is you know, one of the higher level amateur classes, and shooting fairly well. I'd shoot good sometimes, I wouldn't, shoot. and then there was a specific tournament that I can I can recall that. I was, I believe it was four or six points that I finished outside off of the podium. Okay. I would have podiumed at my first day at, at, at in this division. And it wasn't my first one, but I went back cause I had a couple of shots that, that broke low or that hit low. And I'm like, there's no way, you know, afterwards I talked to a couple of guys that hit in the, in the 12 ring and it's like, what'd you shoot it for? And they're like, Oh, I shot it for whatever distance. I'm like, well, so did I, I don't know what happened. Well, after it was all said and done, I go home and I'm, I'm kicking myself because you don't know what you did wrong, right? If you, if you at least know what you did wrong, you can work on fixing it. I felt like I shot the, I guess the right yardage. I shot it. I shot broke good. Everything was good. 
but the arrow was four inches low, you know, and then another time, a couple of targets later, arrow was a couple, two or three inches low. Well, a couple arrows before that, somebody had broken the knock. And I, when I would shoot a tournament, I'd shoot the same arrow as long as I could because I knew how it was, it was flying good until somebody would damage a knock or whatever the case was. Then I'd have to swap an arrow out. In this specific situation, I had built two dozen arrows at two different times, fletched them same, but I was, I was playing with a handful of arrows with a little different point weight. Okay. And at the time, I was shooting some gold tips where I can screw in a weight on the back of my point. Yeah. Well, the arrow that was hitting low weighed 30 grains more than the other ones. And I had three arrows that I did not properly identify. And okay. I didn't think, I didn't know I had put them into my quiver. They were in my case. I'd, and you know, you're, you're on the practice range and somebody trashed it. So you just grab some more arrows out of your case. And I threw them in my quiver. They ended up being, it ended up being one of the arrows that I shot in the tournament. And I got home and I started messing. I was like, what is going? So I start weighing everything. And I figured out that one of my arrows was, well, a couple of them, but the one that I was shooting was 30 grains heavier. Now, 30 grains heavier, everybody knows it's going to be nine, 10 feet per second difference on, right. on, a, on a bow, on a bow, right? So that's huge. Specifically, you know, when you miss, when you shoot it right, but you miss two, three, four inches low at a 35 to 45 yard target, whatever the target is, you're going to hit low. And so then I just, I kick myself because I'm like, you know what? I've not been paying enough attention to detail. I, I was not meticulous enough because I thought that everything else was good, but I, and I had weight sorted things back, but then just a mistake accident. One of the arrows ended up in, in, in my, my, my quiver. And, and like I said, so it's a lesson learned. Yeah. Every time you can take the time to weigh your knocks, weigh, you know, weigh your tips, point align, everything components, sort them, identify the arrow, whether you mark it on the shaft, mark it on a vein, something, right? You need to pay attention to detail because when you learn to do that, that confidence thing goes back up again. You eliminate variables in the process. And now, you know, when you make a mistake, you know, okay, that was me because the components are aligned. Everything's good. The arrow spun good. That was me. Or, you know what, I, I accidentally pulled out this arrow that whatever, it was a different build or, you know, the, the Knox crack or something. You know, whatever the, the, the mistake could have been, eliminating variables, having confidence, and it, it speaks volumes when you can work on your own equipment. Yeah, yeah. And I, <laughs> I bet you were just like, son of a bitch. <laughs> How did that arrow get in my quiver? <laughs> oh, that. You know, I, stupid is what it was because I, like I said, I fletched them the same and everything. And, yeah. and I was like, I'm just going to try this with three arrows. I'm going to go see if they group better at a little, you know, heavier point weight. And, and, and like I said, long story short, it is. You learn from it. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, uh, on that note, you know, talking just a little bit about um, about tuning. What what are the steps to tuning a bow that you guys take in your shop? So, like the bow shows up, um, you know. What, you know, obviously you got to, you know, um, get the, get the bow timed right, get the right draw length, put the rest on, you know, do you paper tune first? Do you walk back tune first? Like what, what's kind of your steps from just, just briefly, you know, from A to so, Z for getting it. Yeah. To so quickly, like, like a new, let's just say somebody comes in and buys a new bow from us. Yeah. Okay? yeah perfect. And 
so if they come in buy a new bow, usually um, bows are going to be fairly close, you know, with the cam timing and everything or cam synchronization, but not always. Sometimes certain bow models, if you if you if it's a rotating mod, um, if you take a bow, for example, that gives you a twenty-seven to thirty inch. Uh, draw length adjustment and and it comes in at 29, but they're 27 and a half inch. You have to go back and check that because uh, the synchronization of the cams will not always be the same when you draw it back at full draw. So checking cam synchronization is huge. Getting it, I we like to start it where where the stops, whether it's limb stops or cable stops, are hitting at the same time. We don't do anything with uh, you know advancing one or the other, especially with the new setup, new string and cables. It has to it has to be um, as close to, uh, par or, um, you know, ideal starting positions as possible. So, like I said, there's some shooters that like to get intricate based off their shooting form. We don't start, we, we start with stops hitting the, 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 the limbs or the cables at the same time. Uh, obviously draw length. We, we got, there's a couple ways that we go through check and draw length. Wingspan gets you close. It's not always perfect. Uh, a lot of times we do knuckles against the wall and, and have you stand in positions with your arm, your left arm extender or right arm if you're right or left-handed shooter. And then we measure to the corner of your mouth from the front of your knuckles. And then actually as you start shooting a bow, then we start making fine-tune adjustments. So that's almost gotcha. like a three-step process. Yeah, so then once we get the draw length set, you know, we, we get the poundage established where they want to be. We check cam synchronization. And we start, uh, you know, mounting equipment on there. So, um, rests fairly basic, certain bows, starting points from, uh, inside the, the riser to center shaft are slightly different based off cam designs. We go based off manufacturer starting recommendations, which are usually three quarter inch to seven eighths of an inch, right? Inside of the riser to center shaft. So we center shoot that. Most times we like to start with the level arrow, um, the intersect in the burger hole, uh, the burger button. And then, um, we, you know, obviously mounting a site, if the site has second, third axis adjustment, we're adjusting all that right out the gate. Um, we do our third axis adjustments at full draw with the Hamsky third axis level. And then at that point, it's, it's a little bit more getting the bow in the shooter's hand with checking peep height, that kind of thing, getting that stuff tied in. Once the bow's set up, initial setup is done, then usually one of our techs will shoot it through paper a little bit, make sure that uh, initially it's shooting through paper with one of, with one of us shooting it. The, the end goal is that the shooter that's going to own that bow, that it'll give them the same result. Not everybody's hands are the same. Not everybody's hand pressure is the same. So what we're looking for is after we get it to shoot a bullet hole, we look, we have them shoot it. If they're getting a, a way nasty tear, then we look at form and hand position to see if there's something that's glaring, right? Otherwise, gotcha. if it's a new shooter, a lot of times the hand position is, is fluid. So they're going to be moving their hand a little bit as they're getting used to the bow or figuring it out. So we try to tell customers, if you're completely new, you know, you need to shoot a couple hundred arrows before you start getting super, you know, concerned with a paper tune or anything like that. Learn the bow, learn your hand in the bow, learn what it feels like at full draw and shoot it. I, like I said, we'll go over some proper hand positioning, you know, placement and that kind of thing. But in addition to that, it's, there's other things that come into play, you know, that, that can involve that affect the tune, like facial pressure on a string. Um, if they're punching the trigger or whatever type of release they're shooting. So there's a lot that goes into it that we try to 
as quickly as we can, because usually a bow setup, it'll take an hour, sometimes two hours, depending on how long it takes the shooter to decide which bow they want, but with the setup and everything. So we don't have all day to sit there and work with the shooter's form. And, and ex so we try to troubleshoot as many things as we can, get it paper tuned by one of the tech shooting it, and then let them learn the bow. What we do at our shop is we'll, if somebody buys a bow, we'll always give them a few free range passes where they come back. And after, you know, two or three times, four times of shooting it, they can say, hey, my peep's rotating a little bit. Or can we double check cam timing again? Now that I've shot it, you know, two, three, four hundred times, can we double check a paper tune? So we'll help them again at that point to, uh, to confirm or make another small adjustment. I don't, we don't get too crazy with the walkback tuning, with the uh, broadhead tuning, bear shaft tuning at that point, just because it's, it's very specific to what the shooter's end goal is. I'm not going to get too crazy with, um, we're not even going to touch on broadhead tuning with the, with somebody who's just going to be shooting tournaments, right? It's just not going right. to happen. Not necessarily vice versa with, a uh, you know, uh, anybody, uh, it, we try to do a tune that's specific to what the shooter's end goals are after the fact. So, but initially it starts with a paper tune that gives us a good indication that the arrow's coming out clean. Um, and then there's so many things that they can follow from a bear shaft tune, like I said, to a walk back tune. Um, you know, some, we don't see a lot of tiller tuning anymore with the parallel in bows. It just, it, we don't see that. We don't, we don't work on that too much. I should say it's a, it's a paper tune, bear shaft tune, broadhead tune. It's a paper tune, walk back tune, you know, group tune. So it's, it's, there's different types of, or methods of tuning to get to your end goal. Uh, one thing I tell shooters is I've specifically have paper tuned a bow, went out and did a, uh, a, just went directly out to broadhead tuning in some cases, depending on what I was doing and had to make small adjustments, got it where my field points were impacting with my broadheads at distance. And, and it was good. I'd come back in and check the paper tune. I have a quarter inch, three eighths of an inch tear again. So sometimes each tuning method is a process of getting to your end goal. Not always are they all going to stay perfectly in line. So a lot of times when you cross one bridge, a lot of times I say burn it because <laughs> don't look back. Well, and if if you're if you're getting to your end goal, and again in in a, in a hunting situation, if your end goal as a hunter is for your field points to group with your broadheads, then if your paper tune is your initial step to get you started, and you've done that, and then you go outside and and you start, you know, maybe you've screwed on some broadheads and you start to get 30 yards or something and start to do a, a broadhead tune 30 or 40 yards. And then you get to where it's everything, you know, make a small rest adjustment. Everything's in sync with field points and broadheads and you shoot 50, 60 yards and it's good. Well, does it really matter what the paper tells you anymore? It shouldn't, right? Because your end goal, you've achieved that. Yeah, so yeah. that's where a lot of people get hung up on that. And I don't, I just take it the perspective of how you look at things. Archery is something, man, I tell you what, and it's, I've done it. I've been guilty of it, but archery can play mind games with you. And if, if you keep, <laughs> so bad, if you keep, right. If you keep things simple and you focus on, and you know, you have a, a clear vision or a clear goal of what you want to get to. And you go through the process of getting there don't get hung up on the details anymore of the stuff that you've, what you've been through. You know, if, if in your process, you decided that you had to go to a stiffer arrow and, and change some things because 
you couldn't get the arrows you had to work out, but then you got past that, you got some new arrows and then you, you got, you achieved your goal. Okay. Well, why, why are you going to get hung up because you just wasted 70 bucks on a half a dozen arrows that didn't work? You know what? It's part of the process. Sometimes it's, it sucks, but if you've got to your end goal, Hey, you know what? You're there or you're, you're on, on track where you want to get. So that's kind of how we do. Um, that's how we get people started with tuning. Tuning can be so, I mean, bare shaft tuning can be so finicky based off a of shooter's form and um, from shooter to shooter. And, and like I said, different types of releases that they shoot. So it's always interesting um, when you get further along the process with tuning. I, I just, we try to help people navigate through that as best we can. Um, sometimes sh some shooters form just isn't very good. And, you know, as much as they can, they get mad because they can group field points at 80 yards, but they can't get their broadheads to group at 50. You know, it's like, Hey, I can't be the, the, the police, the archery police that tells you, Hey man, your, you know, your follow through sucks, your, your release execution sucks and you're punching the trigger or whatever <laughs> that you need to fix that before, you know, that's your problem. Your problem isn't that your setup doesn't allow the broadheads to group at distance. It's that your execution sucks. So I just, it's, it's hard. It's hard to look in the mirror sometimes to be able to, to realize that you're the problem, but when you can put a bow, most bows tuned well and in, in a shooting machine and, and get good results, there is only one other answer, you know? So yeah. it's, 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 it can be tough. So tuning is definitely a, a slippery slope, you know, whatever double-edged sword it's, it's tough, but, um, but yeah, I mean, that's, we just start with the paper tune and we get people to that point with the new setup. And then at that point, it's very much specific to the shooter. So we can help walk you through a process, but we can't shoot your bow for you anymore at that point. Right. It's, it's gotta be right. a shooter. So, um, <clears throat> once again, I, I don't, not wanting to dive deep into it. Cause obviously that's what we said we would do later on. Um, but for the, for the person that, uh, that may maybe is a little bit farther advanced, has a bow press at home. Um, what are, what are a few of the, uh, uh, the tuning methods that you use and what order meaning, um, you know, you hear some people talk about, well, paper tear, it, paper tuning is just kind of the starting point. And then I go out and I walk back tune and then I'm good. You know, then you hear some people say, well, I paper tune, then I bear shaft tune, and then I'm good. You know, um, if yeah. it's you and your bow, what are, what are the tuning methods that you use and what order? And I don't, you know, I don't want to get deep into it because that's, I'm just curious which ones you use and what order. So one thing that I'll say that because we do have the tools, because we have the presses and the, you know, the draw board and we have, you know, um, the ability to, I don't say take bows apart, but what, what, what differentiates the normal consumer that doesn't have the right tools and equipment to, to break a bow down and, and make small adjustments to it, as opposed to something like a pro shop is when you start the tuning process, a shop or like myself, when I'm working on my bow, I set my, my rest to center, which is, uh, I shoot a Hoyt is three quarter inches where I still like to start my, my center shaft off the inside of the riser arrow level. 
if I need to make adjustments, if I'm getting left or right tears, I don't go to my rest. I go to the bow first. Okay. So whether that's utilizing a, a split yoke where I can put ab twists on one side or the other, or I shim cams, I'd like to keep my center shot as, as true as possible, move other things in the platform first. Secondary, I'll move my rest, like as a last option. Okay. Where most consumers will, if they go do a paper tune and, you know, they're getting a tail right tear and they've got to move their rest out, you're going to get limited. You're going to have limited adjustment with what you can do on a, on a rest only uh, tune, right? You're limited. Exactly. So that's where, with what I like to do, I, I like to get it to where I have, uh, you know, almost a clean tear or very close to a clean tear before I even start touching a rest. Because as I start with the paper tune to do that, more recently, the last couple, two, three years, I've been playing with different size diameter shafts and really check, you know, mess with different point weights, different, you know, component alignments, trying new stuff. I mean, I, I, I haven't done it as much the last year with new components just until recently, but it, you know, in the past, I'd like to try stuff out. I mean, how do I know, how do I give a, a customer an educated answer as to whether certain components or parts are, are good or not if I haven't tried it myself? I don't right, want right. to say I'm, I'm just going to take what the manufacturer says. <laughs> certain manufacturers I can trust more than others, but I like to test stuff. I like to break stuff. I mean, I, we were joking last night at the shop actually about the same topic. It's like, hey, I'm all good. I'm, I'm all good for breaking stuff. You know, <laughs> I don't have a, I mean, I don't want to say I have a disrespect for, for components or what, but I got to try. I got to see, you know, if, if, if I break it, then I know where it's, its weak point is. If a customer, if I just sell it to them and they come in in a week and they've broken multiple components, that's not a good thing, you know? Right. So I, I, I like to try that. And in doing that, I went from a, a paper tune to a bear shaft tune and, and really getting focusing on that because in addition to equipment, I need to know that my form is money from shot to shot to get a good end result with the bear shaft. If you have a little more side pressure one way or the other, when you're shooting bear shafts man, look out, okay, it's, it's problems are going to be evident. So I'll start with like a 10 yard bear shaft tune shooting at uh, about 10 yards. I'll walk back sometimes to about 20 yards and, and look for, uh, you know, a good grouping and an arrow in, impacting true center with, uh, I mean, in line uh, with my field points. So it's, that's where I, and then from there, I'll go to a broad hit tune to where it's just fine tuning. Like I said, hopefully it's very little adjustments, if none at all, at that point. I've gotten to where when I have a, when I see a good result with my bear shafts, my broadheads, um, fixed points, you know, expandables obviously are, are even easier, but fixed points ha show me a good result with, uh, with my grouping. Yeah, absolutely. And I, cause it goes back to, uh, you know, what you said before, once you, once you cross a bridge, burn it. Cause you know, so somebody can get out there and they can start doing some, a, a very few <laughs> Google searches. And before you know it, you're trying to do a paper tune, a walkback tune, a bear shaft tune, a tiller tune, the hill method that John Dudley talks about and broadhead tuning. And you're yeah. like, what the hell? Where do I start? Where do I not do? You know, so that that's why I wanted to uh, to briefly cover, you know, what's what's truly needed, what's overkill and um, what. What if you do this one thing, you're probably undoing all the other stuff you just did. <laughs> 
Yeah, it, there's there's so many different methods, and and I used to do a lot of walk back tuning with my target bows. You know, mm-hmm. that that was I was really concerned with the arrows tracking. You know, straight down, making sure the rest position was a good position, and um, I I really enjoyed. I mean, I, I integrated that in a in my target bows. I don't really do that much with my hunting bows. Um, I like to shoot at distance a lot, so I'm really uh, kind of breaking down the process further as I'm practicing at distance to make sure that my, you know, my slider bar is, is level. And, and when I track my, my housing down, everything's tracking, right. I've had it before where I've taken a sight off my bow because I felt like one of the pins, I, I, I like a five pin slider and I sight my pins in 20 to 60 and I use my 60 as my slider. And I had a specific site. I'm not going to mention it because I still feel that it's the good site. They make good sites, but this one specific one, I had him change the pin sizing. So the bottom pin was smaller and I felt like the, the hole didn't get drilled exact because I was, I was impacting. It was literally two, two and a half inches, three inches at 60 yards to one side and my 20 through 50 were, were on the dot. And then I, you know, so it was the 60 yard pin Just that I didn't 60, feel like it was perfectly fine. And it was because it was drilled a different size. And I even talked to manufacturers. I'm like, Hey, you know, it, I, this is what I'm seeing. They're like, no, they're all level. Took the side off, mounted another side on, didn't have the problem. So I, I knew that whether it was the pin that was drilled funny, whether it was a fiber that was sitting in there a little bit kinked or whatever the case was, it, it wasn't right. It wasn't perfect. And I just, I, I get, I used to get really anal with everything, attention to detail. I mean, I, I would, I've told stories where I set up a little mini pro shop in my basement and I'd be, you know, I'd be at home and wake up at two o'clock in the morning thinking about something on my bow. Well, I'm downstairs. I'm working on it. And my wife would drive her nuts sometimes because, you know, my pro shop spot is, is right underneath our bedroom. So you just hear the arrow stump in the target, you know, at two o'clock in the morning, whatever the case was, it was, but I just, when I think of something or I knew something wasn't right, I had to fix it. And that's why I invested in the stuff in the basement many years ago to do that. Cause I just, I knew that if I, if you can learn to eliminate variables as an archer, bow hunter, whatever avenue you choose, that's your number one step to growth. You eliminate the variables and then you start to identify where you fall into the picture of, uh, you know, from your form and your execution how it's, it's a married system, your bow, your arrows, yourself, it all has to work in harmony together or it's not going to work at all. So it's, I I don't know, man, it's interesting. It's, um, there's so many different, you know, rabbit holes I can go down with just talking about the tuning process and understanding equipment that, because I've, I've made more mistakes that I like than than some people would probably, you know, care to listen to because it's, I've, I've spent the time to, to, like I said, to try to break stuff, to, to shoot stuff, to see. And, and more recently, the last year or so, year and a half, I've, the shop's gotten busier. Uh, my other business has gotten busier. So I've, I've taken a little bit of a step back from hands-on, you know, doing a bunch of tuning stuff at the shop. And it's uh-huh. been more running the business, getting the tournament side going. So but I tell you, the more I spend at trade shows the last few months talking with people, hey, you know, this video really helped me or that YouTube video or whatever. I'm, I'm having a calling to kind of go back and, and play some more and tinker. And so with, with working with you here uh, on the next few, uh, 
episodes with the tuning process, what I'm probably going to do in, in a lot of respects is take my, my new hunting bow that I got set up. I got an RX3 Ultra and I'm going to start just getting back to basics myself with checking a couple of different arrow builds out and working through my tuning process and, and then shooting some groups and see what works best. And that way I can, you know, I can maybe shed some insight on a new model bow that I'm going to put the work into and go through my tuning processes and, and then highlight some of the, you know, the, the wins and losses, if you will, because there's, you know, there's things that I'm going to learn as I dive deeper into getting into some of the process that I used to really get, get way deep into. So it's going to be fun. Yeah, absolutely. Well, maybe I'll just uh, bring my bring my Bowtech down there and and, <laughs> and drive in with you. <laughs> uh, we can play, man, for sure. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm kind of you know I I uh, I would love to get more into tournaments, but I uh, I'm kind of the same thing where I'll do something with my bow and then I'll start shooting. And I'm like, well, what the hell is going on now? And then before I know it, I'm laying there in bed and it's midnight and I'm still like, what did I do or what can I do different? You know? So, so, uh, it's kind of, yeah, it's good to talk to a like-minded person, I guess. <laughs> yeah. And there's, I mean, it's, it's just time on, it's time behind the bow and, and, you know, things like that. But like I said, when, when you can get to a, a place in your archery bow hunting journey that when you shoot an arrow and you know why you missed or you can confirm that everything was good, right? If the pin bobbled low and the shot broke and the arrow's low, okay. You, you executed what, what was a, probably a good shot. Your pin placement was just low. Or you, you break a clean shot and you, the pin was in the spot and you, you look down there with your binos and it's perfect. You're confirming that everything you did in the process was good. When you can get to that point, you can really start to make growth, uh, make significant improvements, whether it's in your distance, whether it's in whatever, right? Uh, anything you want to do because you can now confirm where a mistake came from or you can, uh, um, you know, confirm that everything was right. And a lot of people don't know that. They'll shoot an arrow and they'll hit six inches high left. And it's like, well, was the pin up there? Uh, I don't know. You know, <laughs> it's like, <Right>. okay. Um, <laughs> did you feel like you, you know, your, 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 your front arm flew out or what, something happened or uh, I don't know. You know, so that's what I'm saying. The, the attention to detail, focusing on, on what you, what the process is. And, and a lot of times it's just shooting thousands and thousands of arrows. I mean, it's, it's, um, it's a process like anything else. And it's, it's, I enjoyed it. I mean, I've, I've enjoyed it from the first time I picked up. I mean, the first time, not the first time, but the first time I really bought my own compound book. Cause I got to shoot a, a buddy's compound a little bit in high school we'd play around with, but it wasn't ever anything serious like it was when I bought my own. So right, right. it's, it, I, I just encourage people to fall back in love with just the process of shooting a bow and not necessarily get hung up with how much your site costs, you know, uh, how, whatever kind of release, uh, whatever you're shooting. I mean, guys like Dudley do such a great job from a super technical aspect of things that I can't say anything bad about the guy. I just think that some people try to jump into that too quickly. And right. I think that that could hurt your long-term growth or your progress because eventually you're, you're going to find some quick, quick gain uh, growth or, you know, improvements. And all of a sudden you're going to hit a wall because the things that you should, you should be focusing on through the process maybe got overlooked because they're not sexy for the sexy. And I just, I don't know, man. I mean, I, I'm, I'm old school, I guess, within the respect of 
how I, how I grew up and, and how I go about doing things. I just, I'm, I'm, I'm looking for slow, long-term steady growth, not quick gains and, you know, big flashy stuff quickly. Yeah, no, I get it. I, uh, and that, like you say that a lot, a lot of it's going to come with just shooting more and more and more and more. Um, and that in itself, there's growing pains, right? I mean, picking up your bow and shooting 20 to 40 times is a lot different than picking up your bow and shooting a hundred to 200 times, which conversely is yeah. much again, you know, just as much more different from shooting 600 or more times in a day. Right. I mean, it's just, it's growing pains there too. But so now, you know, let's briefly dive into what we both agreed is, is much or more important. Um, then the actual tuning of the bow and that is uh you know learning what your shot distance is that is you know learning what shots you can make under pressure and which ones you should really try to get a better shot angle um that is you know learning the broadhead that you just going you know that you picked uh you know learning that you can actually draw back and shoot it and hit the target at 60 70 80 yards you know um let's kind of dive into just a brief overview of the importance of that. And, uh, uh, you know, a few of the things that people can do to get better with it. Cause obviously, like we already said, we're going to cover it in more depth in a future podcast. Yeah. So, you know, we, we've been doing since last year, we've been doing what we're calling our all day workshops at no limits archery. And <clears throat> I mean, it's, um, it's, it's a significant investment. I mean, we've got, I've got usually three to four of my staff members, including myself that are with you for like seven hours. You know, we provide lunch and all that. The, at this workshop, we really focus on that. We, we show you how to use math, use constants that is from animal body size, break it down into vital size, regulate it some to take into account the oh crap factor when you're out in the woods, you know, and then we actually go sight into that. And then we, yeah. So, I mean, you have to, what well, my philosophy on all this is if you're going to wait till you're in the field, when your adrenaline's high, when you're not very clear of, of clear sound mind because of a giant, whatever mule deer, bull elk screaming in front of you, something, right. That's not the right time to be trying to, to figure out the, the fine details. Those are the details that time you should have those stuff already so ingrained in your mind that it's, it's just a matter of reacting. It's that building that autopilot, right? So right. just like you have an autopilot for the shot sequence and how you execute a shot, I believe you should have all that, a playbook, a mental playbook, if you will, that tells you what your true effective range is at different distances for different shot scenarios. And like I said, we really break that down in our class and it starts with animal size. You know, you're, you're, uh, what you're sighting into for an elk is not the same for, uh, an antelope and, um, the shot selections you should be choosing for one and the other is not the same either. Can you have one setup for all animals? Sure. Is it going to be ideal for all animals? No, you're going to have a setup that's good for all, but maybe, you know, caters towards one or two. So it, it's something that, we really get into that's what seems people get really intrigued. And we, that's more what we do anymore at the shop is focus on these arrow slash bow builds for people that they're looking to achieve something specific. And that's the right methodology in my opinion, because 
if you want to go buy a new bow because you just want to go buy a new bow, okay, great. But you don't know why you want a new bow. Well, I want a, I want a lighter weight bow that's a lot, little longer axle to axle because I'm going to be primarily Western hunting and I want a longer axle to axle for a steadier platform to be shooting more at distance. Okay, well, good. Now you can start working on that, right? Or maybe I want a, a shorter axle to axle bow that's dead, dead quiet. I really don't care how much it weighs because I'm going to be sitting in a tree. All right, we can build you that bow. Uh, I'm going to be going to hunt moose, uh, primarily moose and elk. So I just want a heavier arrow build, um, not super concerned with shooting long distances, you know, maybe something that can get me out to 60, 70 yards, but I don't really want to shoot at a, at a moose or elk past 40. All right, well, we can build you that bow. We can help you build arrows for, within your bow. So that process has gotten to be um, really what we're, we focus on with a lot of customers and taking your build showing you how to sight in based off of animal size. And then we basically develop an effective range for you. And then from there, what we do in our workshop is we, we teach you to break it into a third, one third clusters, right? So if somebody has a 60 yard effective range based off how you do our testing, then you've got a first third cluster that's zero to 20, a middle third is 20 to 40. And then a last third is 40 to 60. So instead of saying, uh, I have an effective range for broadside at to 60. And then I have an effective range for frontal out to 25. And I got an effective range for a quartering two shot at to 35. Uh, instead of doing all that, we test you on a best case scenario, maximum effective range. And then we break your shot scenarios into those clusters. And that really helps people to simplify the process because me, for example, if I'm going to be on a mule deer stock and I see a mule deer bedded down and, you know, I, trying to figure out an approach position. And I say, okay, well, my effective range is 90. I need to get to my two thirds range, which is 60, because I know that 80, 85% of my shot scenarios are green light and my two thirds distance. So that's what my, that's my goal. That's my target zone. I always want to try to get into my two thirds distance. And then from there, then I can play it, right? I can get closer. Great. Oh, this is not a great shot angle. I need to get closer or I need to wait. I can't get any closer, right? So those scenarios that could play out, are things that I've already prepared myself for. So when I get there, there's not a disconnect. There's not a hesitation. There's a very much, there's a direct line or a path to follow. And that, that process, like I said, I just, I feel that again, going back to the equipment thing, if you have your own capabilities, your effective range and everything so well ingrained, it doesn't really matter the tool you have in your hand. You can, you can put these same methodologies into rifle hunting, to bow hunting, to shooting a recurve, to shooting a compound, because you're, you're, you learn your, you know, yourself and you, you know, your capabilities. The other thing that we do in this process is we show you how to create a baseline. So as you're testing yourself and you're testing your energy on your bow and you're testing all these things, then if you say, well, you know what, my energy really peters out a little bit too quick. I want to have your arrow build and you build yourself some new arrows. You go back and retest. So you're testing one thing at a time based off a baseline you've created and you know if this one change you made is a valuable change or not. And then you can progress from there. So there's so much value into just writing some things down, breaking it down from the simple aspects of understanding what's really important, what's not, what's less important, your hunting style, your, the animal you're going to hunt. So there's, there's it's some things that we've started coaching that I know they get, I, I would say that it gets addressed sometimes in um, a shotgun fashion where some people touch on one aspect or the other. We've really tried to compile and organize 
a lot of this into one umbrella. And I tell you, it's, it's, um, it's worked really well. I've got a lot of good feedback for it. Um, you know, the, I, I actually wrote a short, a second short book. My second one that I wrote was called shooter. Don't shoot basically mirrors the content in this philosophy, in this process. And I think it's super valuable. I think that if, especially for those people that didn't grow up in hunting or didn't grow up in bow hunting, didn't have a, you know, a grandfather or an uncle or somebody to help them teach them a lot of these, these things that you learn along the way, it, it really gives you better perspective as to things you need to focus on, things you need to practice for, and then how to, how to practice. I always say, know your capabilities, but never, never settle for them. And if you know how to test them and create a baseline, then you know how to progress. And then with that develops the confidence to give you your playbook for the field. I mean, it's just, it's, it's a simple process when you take a step back and you look at it, but there's so many details involved in it that I just think we've done a good job of, of organizing it and helping deliver it in a, in a way that people say, Oh, I get that. I see where that comes from. Let's move to the next step. Oh yeah. I understand why that's integrated here. Okay. Now let's move to the next step. So there's some of those things that it's, you know, we, we take into account distance. We take into account energy. We take into account um, things like yardage judging, you know, for, for hunting, does that come into play? We take into account animal behavior. Um, what's the animal doing? You know, is it, is he looking at you or has he got his face in the ground feeding? You know, is it, is, is an animal bedded? Is the arm position in a good position for you to consider a shot there? Is it not? So there's a lot of things that we, and we're just scratching the surface on a lot of that stuff because there's so right. many scenarios, right. And so many, um, things that could happen in the woods that, you can talk, you can talk about that stuff for days and weeks and, and, but, at, but what we've started coaching with a couple three-step processes helps navigate you through potentially any situation you can encounter to help you decide green light, red light. Yeah, that's a good shot. No, that's not a good shot based off how we've tested you. So it's, it's a process that, man, as we get more involved in another show, um, I, I mean, I, I'm excited. That's honestly what I'm most excited about coaching and teaching. Now the tuning process for me has taken, uh, I don't want to say a back seat because it's very important, but I feel that this is the foundation, the, the big bricks that lay something, you know, that we lay first to build our house that is important first and foremost. And then you can start to, you know, dress it up with the details of, shooting a hinge or shooting, you know, so much point weight or whatever broadhead, you know? So those are the details and the things that make up the, the, uh, the dressings, if you will, around the outside, as opposed to the, the heavy duty, you know, foundational blocks that, that create your foundation. Hell yeah. So <clears throat> real quick, tell me, uh, just a little bit about, uh, where, people can find the workshop? Is it usually on a weekend? How much does that cost and how do they get signed up? So we just had our, uh, we just had our recent one here last weekend and we only do them we, up to this point. We've been just doing them at, at my shop at no limits archery. Uh, this summer we're going to add another, I believe two more dates that are going to be in-house workshops. I also offer a webinar version to that. So if somebody's, you know, not too close, it's not the same, right? Because you don't have all the range time um, tests. We, we talked to you about what the tests we're going to do before we go out and do them. So there's that 30 to 40 minute break a couple of times throughout the day um, that the webinar attendees don't get. But that all day workshop, we charge $150 for, for 
I've, I'm, I'm trying to tweak it where I can get a few more students in, charge a few less dollars. The webinar option is 50. Um, we also have a lot of these courses online. I mean, so to give you a, a, a perspective, right? The, the, the booklet, the, the book that I wrote, short book, it's like 80 some pages, just shy of 90 pages. That gives you a good bird's eye view. The online courses gets you a little bit more, kind of a little closer approach. We, we break things down a little bit more. That, that specific course online, I believe, is almost three hours of video content. It's like five to 20 minute videos. On the in-house workshop is your hands-on, get your bow into the process. We we build charts for you, we build graphs for you based off of your bow. We're testing you specifically. So there's a lot more detail that goes into the in-house workshop as opposed to the online course, and then a little bit less with the, like I said, the booklet. The book is kind of just scratching the surface with what we're doing there. So um, I am looking to try to set up a couple regional locations possibly for late this year or into next year, you know, with, uh, with our workshop. So we can start to reach out and grow more with it. Um, we're going to start, you know, with, with your platform and then some of the YouTube content, <clears throat> a lot of the information I'm, I'm going to be, it's not a secret, right? I mean, you can, you can go buy my, my ebook for three bucks or something on Amazon or four bucks. It's not like it's a, a nugget of gold. It's, the information to me anymore, I feel is, is free or very inexpensive. How we deliver it or where we deliver it is where the investment and the money comes into play. So if you want my team and my, my time and my team's time to do that, you come to my workshop and we're going to make sure you understand the process with your bow. And by the end of the day, um, you're walking away with a whole different perspective. You've got worksheets that we've built for you. We've got, like I said, other charts, cut charts and that kind of thing. And you really have a good, uh, feeling for where your approach needs to go. Um, the, like I said, the online courses are good. Don't get me wrong. I, I'm not downcrediting our online course, but it's not the same as when you come in and you're able to work with us hands on. So we're trying to do what we can to get it out there. Like I said, there'll be some short YouTube clips that we start putting up and then talking with you on this show about some of the process in more detail um, to, uh, to, to help people out because at the end of the day, that's what it's all about. You know, we got to make sure that as bow hunters, we're as ethical and as efficient and effective as we can be when we ha head out in the woods. So having a good structure like this, because we really call it a, you know, building a system, a structure is, is what I feel is the forefront of where, we where we should be thinking. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, um, Phil, it's been an absolute blast having you on the podcast. I really look forward to uh, the next couple ones where we dive into each one of those topics that we kind of briefly touched on. Um, I, you know, like you say, that, that's the whole reason that I started the podcast was simply so that people could develop and grow the love for archery that I have because I feel that, you know, if, if you don't have a pro shop right next to your house or whatever else, you know, it, it can become overwhelming. And uh, I just, I don't want somebody to not do it just because they felt like they didn't know what to do or because they got overwhelmed. You know, I want to always give them a place to turn and the podcast here is free. So, uh, you know, hopefully give them something to turn to and listen to. So I appreciate you taking your time out. Um, why don't you let everybody know, you know, the websites or, uh, Instagram handles or whatever else where they can get a hold of you guys and, uh, where you can be found. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. And I appreciate the, you know, the, the offer to get, get me on the show here. Um, so you can follow on Instagram or Facebook at alpha bow hunting. 
Uh, we also have a page for No Limits Archery, which is more shop specific stuff like leagues and, you know, upcoming events with the, with the shop. Uh, alphabowhunting.com for online coaching information, seminars information, that kind of thing, and tournament information. You know, our tournament series, we're going to be in five states this year. Um, uh, Wyoming, we're going to be in Casper. We're going to be doing some TAC events as well, which are just kind of hybrid events of what our, our challenge is in South Dakota, Utah, and Texas. So, and then in Colorado, which is where, where we're based out of. So, um, excited, got a lot of things in, in the works for 2019. And, um, yeah, you can send me an email. If you got any questions, as well, Phil at no limits, archery.com happy to answer them. Sometimes it takes me a day or two to get to them, but, um, anything, send it over, you know, messages, tag us on, on something on, on social love to see it. And I appreciate the time, man. Thanks for tuning into this episode. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast, like share and comment. Also check us out on YouTube. Have an awesome day.